Matthew chapter 21, we are looking at the triumphal entry. Matthew chapter 21, what we're going to try to do today is accomplish two things. Number one, it's an invitation to the kingdom sent from the king. And so if you do not know Jesus, today is a good day to put your faith in the king who has come and is coming. And then the second thing is to look at those who are in the kingdom to encourage us to keep following the king. And so we're going to look at five things that we learn about the kingdom and the king from the triumphal entry. It's, it's a weird text and that you, you have a crowd waving palm branches, throwing down their jackets on the ground, singing a song praising Jesus who in less than a week will be yelling, crucify him. And it's arrogant of us to think that that crowd is very different from us today. You see, Jesus is the king that came that nobody wanted, and yet everybody needed. He is a king that was rejected, and yet will be returning. He is the king of grace and glory. And so as we go through this passage, I want us to see the king that we worship. It's very important that we know the king. We don't shape Jesus to be who we want him to be. We take our lives, lay it down before the feet of our king, and be who he has called us to be. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so that is what we are looking at this morning. How many of you guys have played the game catchphrase? Catchphrase, all right, so we have a few. You have this thing that makes all sorts of sounds, and it starts with a beep. And it's just there to add pressure as the game goes on. And so it starts with me, and there's a word there that I've got to give hints to, to my team, so they can guess what it is. And as soon as they guess it, bam, you hit it, you pass it to the next person. And it goes in the circle. Now, here's the problem. The beeping starts out slow. Beep, beep. But then it picks up. Beep, 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 beep. And you know you don't want to be the one left when the buzzer sounds holding this game because your team loses. When it comes to Christ, right now is the time to respond. Because when he comes a second time, it's too late. He came the first time riding in on a donkey. He comes a second time riding in on a white horse. And you want to come to Jesus while he's sitting on a donkey, not riding on a horse. Time is now. You see this again and again in Scripture. Hebrews 3.15, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. Question, do you think a lot of people are rebelling against the King of Kings? You see it all day. And what happens is, what we do is, look, look at those guys doing that. They're not bowing down to Christ. The problem is, if we look at ourselves, we can list ways every day in which we rebel against Christ. Today, 
if you hear his voice. Another invitation, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. This is interesting with the conversation fight we had in the uh, resource room where we had a, a member of our staff give people a hard time for getting close to 40 and getting close to 50 years of age. Here, we see one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Do you guys know when the triumphal entry happened? How many years ago we're talking about? Around? About 2,000 years. According to God's timeline, how many days is that? Two days. Two days. Not that long. When you're the God of eternity, thousands of years is nothing. So why has Jesus not come back? The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all come to repentance. You see how Jesus, full of grace, is inviting people to himself. Don't miss the king. And so today, as we look at this strange week where people go from praise to crucify him in a matter of days, let us see Jesus for who he said he is. Characteristic number one, Jesus is the global king who is gentle. Jesus is the global king who is gentle. <clears throat> In Matthew 21, this is what we read, starting with verse 1. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there, her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. He will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was choosing a ride to announce the king is coming, wouldn't be a donkey. I'm thinking chariots, gold rims, couple nice horses out front. Not him. Jesus says, go grab the donkey. Why? Why? This is what's very, very important. Jesus knows exactly who he is. And it goes back to Zechariah. And the people know exactly what this means. You and I will miss this if we don't know the words of Zechariah. So in Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10, we read this. And before I read this, I just want you to see this. What, what we do is we're going through Matthew. Anybody watch wrestling? Is anybody famous tag team? Who, who's a famous tag team? The Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys. Oh, my gosh. Really? Go. All right, the Hardy Boys. So what happens is one guy will get whooped, he goes and tags the other, and they, they do this together. What's happening in Matthew, this chapter, is we see something about Jesus, but the tag team partner is in the Old Testament. And so there's a connection. Bam! And so when you see Matthew 21, 1 through 5, you've got to look at the tag team partner, which is Zechariah. And this is what we read in Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, 
humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus is saying when he rides in on a donkey. Not that, well, I don't have a nice ride, but don't worry about it. No, he's doing it exactly for this reason. Because the people understand, here comes the king, the king of the universe. Around the globe, this is a global king who is also gentle. We have a dog across the street. Not, not Sadie. Sadie's a nice dog, too. Across the street, we have this German shepherd. And you hear the bark, and you don't want anything to do with the bite. Guess what the dog's name is? Emily. This giant German shepherd whose name is Emily. Listen, it doesn't match. Here, you have the king of the universe who invites you to himself, and he is gentle to welcome people. That's a beautiful picture. Now, quick question. And listen, I know geography is lacking in a lot of our students from talking to Ava. Ava, have you ever heard of the Euphrates River? No. <laughs> That's all right. We got an illustration. Check out the maps. Euphrates River, right up here, modern-day Turkey, goes through Iraq. On a globe, we're talking right here. Have you guys heard of Covington? <laughs> Covington is right here. How far is Covington from the Euphrates River? Thousands. Thousands of miles. We are halfway across the globe. And now here's the awesome part. When we read in Zechariah, his dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Covington is included. Jesus rode in a, on a donkey to let you know his reign reaches Covington, Kentucky. He is a global king who is gentle and his reign is forever in eternity, and he's inviting you to himself. Will you respond? That's the first thing we see about Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the saving king who is sacrificial. Jesus is the saving king who is sacrificial. Back in verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 6, the disciples went, did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them, sat on them. Very large crowds spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spraying them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Do you see how elated the crowd is? They know exactly what it means for Jesus to ride in on a donkey. There's a reason why they would rather the donkey walk on their clothes than on the dirt. They're giving honor to the king whose reign knows no end. Question. Would you lay your clothes on the ground? Mike, you walked in with my favorite pair of shoe of all time. Jordan 11s, right? Jordan 11s, you would not want to get dirty at all. Would you lay those down at the feet of Jesus? That's what these guys are doing. They're saying we would rather get the dust on us than anything touch what you're riding on. It's an act of worship. 
They're saying Jesus is the most valuable person on the planet. And they know that he's there to save them. The problem is they thought he was saving them from the Romans and not their sin. And we know this when you go to the tag team partner. Isaiah 56, 7 and 8. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says this, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. And so they're right in calling that. But here's the, the strange part. They knew that part of the psalm, but they didn't look at what's before it. In Psalm 118, verse 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so we see that Jesus has come to save his people. And they get that from Psalm 118. But right before we see that he's come to save, it says that this is the stone that was rejected and has become the cornerstone. Who is that? It's Jesus. Has Jesus been rejected when he's riding to Jerusalem? Not yet. Not yet. Isn't it amazing how Jesus rides into this city knowing he's saving the people that are about to reject him? Can you imagine? I wonder what is going through Jesus' mind. He's riding in, saving a people and about to be rejected. But that's the only way salvation happens. Now, I want you to see this. Jesus isn't accidentally going to Jerusalem. In Luke, it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, one of his boys, one of his disciples, Thomas, was complaining. He's like, Jesus, we can't go back to Jerusalem. You know what happens there. You almost got killed last time we were in that city. We don't want to go back. But you want to know what he says? And he says it with, I think, a little bit of sarcasm. Let's go with Jesus. Let us go and die with him. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Do you remember what Jesus said right before chapter 21 of Matthew? Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the people thought salvation was coming because Jesus would establish his power over the Romans. But salvation came when Jesus laid his life down and showed his power over the grave. Now listen, that's a game changer for you and me. You see, on this side of the triumphal entry, on this side of Easter, on this side of the empty tomb, we can look back and know exactly what it means for Jesus to save his people. And it has nothing to do with the Romans. Has the Romans bothered any of you guys? No. You guys paying taxes to Caesar? Nope. You want to know what is bothering you? Same thing that's bothering me. As a matter of fact, it's killing us. It's our sin. Hey, and guess what? We have a king that has defeated sin. We have a king that can save his people from their sin. That is who Jesus is. The king who is also sacrificial. Next, Jesus is the gathering king who is passionate for his people. Jesus is the gathering king who is passionate for his people. And this is interesting because he's riding in on a donkey and they call him gentle. 
And so some people think, well, Jesus is passive. It doesn't matter. Jesus won't get upset. He's, he's, he's not soft. He's gentle, but he's not soft. He is passionate for his people, and he gathers them together. And so check this out. Verse 12. Jesus went to the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Can you imagine, we're up here, we're speaking, all of a sudden I go over to the table and I start flipping it out, right? And I grab Brian, I'm like, Brian, you're out, boom, toss him out the door, right? And I work my way over, I grab Jason, Jason's gone, boom, through the window, right? Just tossing people out. This is what Jesus is doing. The question is, why? Tag team partner. This is where we go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 56, 7 and 8. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. All peoples access to God. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. I love this picture. Did you know this is in your Gospels? Jesus cleansing the temple? And if we don't connect it to Jesus gathering a people for himself from all nations, we lose the context. This is very, very important because what happens at the temple where people far from God would come and God's people were supposed to be there to help them gather in the presence of God to worship Him. Instead, what was happening, they were charging them and making money. They weren't getting people to God. They were getting people to serve their God, which was money. They were making money off those who were far from God. Right? That's what was happening at the temple. Gentiles would come and say, hey, here's my sacrifice. I want to pray. I want to be in the presence of God. And they would charge them whatever, and they would pocket the money. Now, they couldn't even enter into the temple. And no one could go into the Holy of Holies except for one person, the high priest. One guy, once a year, would go into this place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, to make sacrifice for the people. And you want to know what separated the Holy of Holies from outside? A giant curtain. Do you guys remember what happens when Jesus dies on the cross? What is ripped? The curtain. And it says the curtain's ripped from the top to the bottom. The thing that kept you out of the presence of God is torn into because Jesus gives you access to the Father. So when you pray, you're in the presence of God because of what the King has done. He is passionate about gathering His people. Now, Here's my question to you. What are you passionate about? Everybody in the room gets fired up for something. That's not the problem. The problem is sometimes we get fired up over things that do not matter. I'll give you an example. We went to regional championship, Highlands versus Connor. Got to see a fun game, back and forth, right? I've never seen this happen in a game. Regional championship, three referees are out there. They're working hard, calling a decent game. And then one of them starts holding their leg. And, and you know what? He's tough. He's a little bit older, but he's going to grind it out, right? 
Now he's hobbling up and down the floor trying to make calls. Guy on the bench, I didn't know there was a sub-referee, but in the regional, I guess there is. He gets up, goes to undo his jacket, and you see the pinstripes. He zips it back up and sits back down. He got waved off. Well, after another play, when the referee got to the point where he's barely crawling up and down the field, subs him in, goes to the bench. This poor referee, there was a reason why he was a sub and not in the original three. He takes off uh, the warm-up jacket, and you see the pinstripe. He starts stretching. He's getting loose. He's going up and down the floor. My man didn't call a foul. Didn't make a call most of the night. When he did make a call, it was brutal. <laughs> oh, that might not be a best call. Uh, uh, man, you may want to go with two referees instead of three now. But you want to know what I found amazing? Was the reaction of one of the fan bases. So there was a call, and Highland's guy looked like he may have fouled. We got away with it, and then the tables turned, and Highland's fans would stand up, and I mean grown adults. I'm not talking about the student section. I'm talking about parents, talking about adults. They're getting up, faces are red, pointing at this official, yelling at him. Why? Want to win. His calls were keeping them from a regional championship. Here's my question. This is what I thought. One, that's embarrassing. I hope we don't do that as a people. I love you to be a passionate fan base, but do not, do not cuss out an official at a game. Not that important. This is what I thought. What happens if the church is as passionate about the things keeping people from the kingdom of God? What Highlands fans taught me was if they're that passionate for a referee keeping their team from a regional championship, should not the church be more passionate about the things keeping people from Jesus? You know, my problem is more with us not being very passionate about that. And when we look at our king, you see how passionate Jesus is? He doesn't play. And now what we tend to do is, well, it's okay if you do that. It's okay if you believe that. Jesus doesn't care. Don't ever say that. When you see Jesus in the temple throwing dudes out, flipping tables, he is very passionate about people gathered together to worship the Father question is, are you? So when you see Jesus in the temple, you see a king who gathers people and is passionate for them. All right, next, verse 14. The blind and the lame come to him in the temple and he healed them. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Jesus is the joyful king who is powerful and personal. Now, you read this and you're like, well, Jesus always did that. But what did Jesus do before he came to Jerusalem? He told people, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about this. Now he's doing it out in the open. Why? Because now it's time. And the Pharisees see it and they can't stand it. And it says after he cleansed the temple, they were looking for ways to kill him. And now that he's healing people and people are gathering him, the Pharisees are even more, but they got to do it in secret. And so they can't, like something's going on with Jesus. What is he doing? It shows how powerful and personal our Savior is. And the tag team partner with this is in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35, this is what we read. Chapter 35, verse 2 through 6. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, strengthen the weak hands, 
and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have anxious hearts, be strong, fear not. Maybe that's some of us today. Did you guys hear that? This is what our king does. Say to those who have anxious hearts, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and a recompense of God and he will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And Isaiah 29, 18 and 19 says, One on that day, the deaf will hear the words of a document. Now the deep darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The humble will have joy after joy in the Lord. And the people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Now, this is what I want us to see here. Do you see how powerful Jesus is and yet how personal he is? My mind goes to the leper who comes to Jesus. And you have to understand what happens with leprosy, right? So a man with leprosy would not be this close to other people as I am with you. And what happens is they wear stuff on them that makes sounds. And then as they walk, they would say, hey, I'm unclean. People had to keep a distance from them. Do you know what Jesus does? There's a man with leprosy. Guess what he does? Do you think he walks away? He goes up and he touches him and he's made well. Why? You and I can't do that. We go up and touch a guy with leprosy. What happens to us? We get leprosy. Jesus goes up to a guy with leprosy, touches him, and the guy's made well. Why? Because Jesus is a powerful king who is also personal. Now, you and I might not be blind or deaf, but we've been healed from something greater. Your sin, my sin, separates us from God. Wages of sin is death. And it takes a powerful king who can make us well. And that's exactly what Jesus does. This past month, we had daughter number four. You know, and I feel like I was a veteran at this. I knew how this thing works. But it didn't start off real well for us. Julianne goes in, and obviously she's a trooper. We go in for the IV. The IV should be the simplest thing of the procedure, right? You go in, they stick you, boom, we're good to go. Well, on this occasion, we have a nurse in training. She's still in college, and I'm thinking, please get it right. Just get it right. Just get it right. Puts the needle in, misses the vein. I'm like, oh, that's not good. Julianne's patient. She's like, oh, that's okay. So the other nurse decides to come in and go to the other arm. Oh, I'll, I'll get you. Boom, misses the vein. I'm like, well, we're 0 for 2. This is not a good start. So we rest a little bit, come back, and the nurse goes, all right, we've got to get this in before we go for the, the C-section. Uh, we're going to come back to this arm. The vein's a little bit bigger. Boom, sticks it in. Well, the problem was there was an air pocket forming in the vein. So obviously not good. And then we hear, oh, we have the wrong needle and the wrong hose hooked to the wrong bag of fluids. And I'm thinking, this is not how we want it to start. So after they took the needle out, I'm like, we're not sticking again. Well, the next shift was coming in, and we had a nurse that knew exactly what she was doing. She's like, no, give me this. So she come over, she grabbed the right needle, hooked it to the right drop bag, hooked it up, and said, all right, Julianne, I need you to look this way. As she looks, boom, got it in. All right, we're good to go. We finally got a nurse that knew what she was doing. 
And it's amazing how calm the right physician can make someone who is sick. Now, the IV wasn't the big deal. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you had something that is deadly and you're dependent on someone to heal you? Aren't you glad that you have a king who is powerful enough to heal you and personal enough to know you by name? So when you see Jesus healing the blind and the lame and you see the joy that results, when we understand our sin and how it separated us from God for all eternity and yet Jesus made us well, how much more should our joy be filled? When we gather together for worship, this place should be a place of joy because we know the King who is powerful enough and personal enough to heal us. All right, next one. Last one, number five. Jesus is the majestic king who is full of glory. Jesus is the majestic king who is full of glory. When the chief priests and scribes, this is verse 15 of Matthew 21. When the chief priests, scribes, saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now, does that make sense to anybody? Does that make sense to anybody? Jesus is in the temple healing people saying, be well, and the children are praising Jesus, and yet the religious leaders are mad. Does, does that confuse anybody else? They're missing the point. And so they go, they say, hey, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. This is what we read in Psalm chapter 8. Jesus here is telling the scribes, you have no idea. They have a glimpse. They have a glimpse of my glory. But this is nothing compared to what's coming. You see, the chief priests and the scribes missed the king. But the children got it. The children see Jesus, and they cry out with praise. Now, that's the first time Jesus came. How many times is Jesus coming? Two, right? He's come once, and this is what's Palm Sunday. This is him walking into the city. And we know next week with Easter, he's going to be crucified on a cross, dead and buried. Father raises him from the grave. Next Sunday is what we're celebrating. We serve a king who is alive. He is risen. But we also serve a king who is returning. Now, this passage that we're getting ready to read, Revelation 19, 11 through 16, is a terrifying passage if you do not know Jesus. Psalm 19, 11 through 16 describes how Jesus is returning. And you see how many people missed him with his first coming? Rides in on a donkey and a lot of people missed him. Nobody's going to miss him with his next coming. So just hear this as I read it. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Here we go. Then I saw heaven opened. So we're outside, we're chilling out, and all of a sudden the skies roll back. That's what will happen. Next, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And his head are many diadems, and 
He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him with white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress, a fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the glory that belongs to Jesus. And here is the invitation. There is still time to turn to the king. The only way into the kingdom is through the work of the king. He lays his life down. He invites you to himself, but people who rebel will not do so forever. He is returning. And you want to meet Jesus as he's riding on a donkey, not a white horse. You see, we serve a king who is full of grace, but also full of glory. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we see the problem. Satan right now is blinding the eyes of people from seeing the glory that belongs to Christ. Paul talks about how the gospel is veiled. So, Demarcus, lift your face mask up over your eyes real quick. Right? Can you see me? No. I could be making faces at it. He wouldn't, can't see me. Right? It's veiled. All right, go ahead and put it down. Right now, that's exactly what's happening to people all across the globe. Satan is coming, and he's blinding them from seeing the glory that belongs to Christ. This is what we pray. We ask God to open up eyes so people can see the glory that belongs to Christ. It's an amazing thing. Mom was in a play back in the day at our old church. It was awkward because I always got signed up to be a soldier, and I had to wear a skirt because that's what Roman centurions wore. And it's always awkward as you get down to lift up the cross. It got dangerous out there in the crowd. But my mom, my mom was part of the crowd who would say, with a palm branch, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? That, okay, I get Because I've seen mom worship and praise God. However, you know what happens. The same crowd is yelling, crucify him. And I always thought, ooh, it would be hard to be in the crowd for that. And yet, that's the grace of our King. He came to save who? The righteous or the sinner? The sinner. He came to save sinners such as me and you. And the invitation's still there. You can come to the kingdom because of what the king has done for us. But the invitation won't last forever. So the question is, are you in the kingdom? And then secondly, are you serving the king today? Are you serving the king today? You see the passion at which he gathers people? Do you see the joy in which he offers because he is savior of the world? Citizens of the king should reflect the king of the kingdom. And that's our call. So that's what you see with Palm Sunday, with palm branches and clothes being thrown on the ground and guys riding, uh, Jesus riding a donkey. It's a reminder of the grace that Jesus offers and the glory that is coming. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for gathering us today. Father, I pray you open up our eyes and our hearts to see the glory that belongs to you. Father, I pray for this community. And Lord, I pray for the nations.
Your reign goes to the ends of the earth. And so I pray that we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I pray that each person in here knows you personally as king and will follow you the rest of their days. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.